0: I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And friend, I'm excited that you're listening in for season five, where we're starting off each month with a different young woman, sharing her faith story, and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and faith. And so this month, our first episode introduced my exchange daughter, Leonie. Leonie shared about growing up in Germany, her experience as an exchange student in regards to Christian faith, and the doubts and questions she has about Jesus Christ and the idea of God in general. I loved hearing Leonie's story. So if you haven't already, I highly recommend you go and check out that first episode with Leonie. We'll put a link in the show notes. And you can find that over at findingsomethingreal.com, along with other things like free resources and occasional blog posts, how you can get more involved with this program, and also get bonus free stuff when you support what we're doing here through Patreon. Find all that and more at findingsomethingreal.com. If you love this program, I'd love to hear from you. So I'm very excited because it is just after 6:30 a.m. here on the West Coast, and Leonie woke up just for this, um, except my four kids probably would have woken her up anyway. So Leonie, welcome, thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh, how is it? How are you doing? You're really close to the end of your exchange year as we're recording this. Uh, you've got 10 days before your parents arrive from Berlin. Um, how are you feeling about all that?
1: I'm sad <laughs> because I don't <laughs> want to leave. Like I kind of have mixed feelings because I'm going to see like my parents again and all the people I love back in Germany and I will finally live in a city again. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know, I'm not ready to leave everything behind here. So.
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to miss you. Um, uh, but I'm grateful that you're feeling sentimental because you're willing to get up this early in the morning, which is really special. (laughs) Um, I feel very privileged and grateful to welcome today's guest. He's a dynamic speaker and an award-winning author. As the president of crossexamine.org, our guest presents powerful and, and, and entertaining evidence for Christianity at churches, high schools, and at secular college campuses. He has also debated several prominent atheists, including Christopher Hitchens and David Silverman. He hosts an hour-long TV program each week, and his radio program airs every Saturday morning. He's a widely featured guest in the media as a leading apologetics expert and cultural commentator. A former aviator in the U.S. Navy, he has a master's degree from the George Washington University and a doctorate from Southern Evangelical Seminary. He and his wife Stephanie are blessed with three grown sons. That's all pretty impressive, and I'm excited to welcome Dr. Frank Turek to the Finding Something Real podcast. Welcome, Frank.
2: Thank you, Janelle. Great being with you, and Leonie as well.
0: Uh, Well, this is an honor and a privilege. People have been telling me that, uh, you know, if you can get Frank on your podcast, that'd be amazing uh, for quite some time. So uh, thank you for being here. Um, I am excited to talk with you. You have a new book uh, that just came out, mm-hmm. um, Hollywood Heroes, How Your Faith, um, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. Your son, Zach, co-wrote it with you. Would you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that? Because I love the books that you've written. Uh, tell us about this new one.
2: Yeah, this new one, my son, who is in the Air Force, actually, and has also graduated from the seminary from which I graduated, Southern Evangelical Seminary. He's a movie buff, and he loves to watch mostly like superhero movies, fantasy movies. And uh, we were, uh, say, five or six years ago, just talking about this. And we we noticed that there are so many parallels in fantasy movies and in superhero movies that parallel the Christian story, because all of us want to be taken from this world of pain and suffering to a place of bliss, Mm -hmm. to a place where there is no pain, there is no suffering, there are no more tears. And that's what these movies do. They have some hero come in and rescue people and bring them to a place of safety. And that's exactly what the Christian story is all about, that there is someone who's coming to rescue us, someone who's actually going to sacrifice himself for us in order to take us to this place of bliss. So it turns out that these stories, whether they're written by Christians or not, can't help but mimic the greatest story ever told. A story that God himself put on human flesh, came to earth, and lived the perfect life in our place. And by trusting in him, we can be taken from this world ultimately to a place of bliss. And so all these movies, the the movie franchises we cover are Captain America, Iron Man, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Batman, Wonder Woman. And all of these these storylines in some way borrow from the greatest story ever told. And all these heroes point to the ultimate hero, Jesus of Nazareth. So that's what the book's all about. It's kind of a fun book. We, we lace through there, good theology, apologetics, evidence for the faith, and also uh, biblical life lessons, because there are life lessons in all of these movies that you can communicate to young people a lot easier than saying, well, the Bible says this, right? <laughs> you know, I don't want another lecture, mom, but let's watch a movie. Let's have movie night. Oh yeah, I can see that biblical... Uh, that, that biblical life lesson is really true because they're watching it in a movie, you know?
0: Mm, yeah. So who did you write this book for? Is it for parents or is it for uh, young people?
2: Yes, it's both because parents, look, I mean, I'm 60 years old now. So I was brought up on some of these movies too. You know, Star Wars, when Star Wars came out, I was 15. as the first movie, right? Uh, and so people of any age who like these movies, and Janelle, I don't know if you know this, but Out of the top 25 grossing movies of all time, 23 of them are fantasy or like superhero movies. Hmm. There's only two that are not. One is Titanic and the other I think is Furious 7, which had had a lot of special effects in it obviously. (laughs) It's kind of a fantasy movie, right? So people want to be taken from this world to a place where there is no pain and suffering anymore. Yeah. Um, And that's what these movies do. And that's of course what the Christian story actually promises
0: I thought it was really interesting that you had Harry Potter in there Uh, oh yeah and I watched I watched part of your interview with the Lisa Childers um, and she had a question that came to me immediately when I heard that Harry Potter was in there which was a lot of Christian parents or people are steering away from Harry Potter because of all the fantasy elements would you share a little bit about that and what where you see the salvation message in Harry
2: Potter yeah, I know this is going to sound shocking to some Christian parents, but out of all the movie franchises and all the heroes we looked at in this book, Hollywood Heroes, the one that most parallels Jesus is Harry Potter. You go, what? How can that be? Well, first of all, Harry Potter uh, has four elements or four characteristics of his life that are almost identical to Jesus. Number one, he's prophesied to be the savior of his world before he's born, and the Satan figure tries to take him out as an infant. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Secondly, he has to live a moral life in order to be this savior. Thirdly, he sacrifices himself to defeat the evil Voldemort, who is the Satan figure in the movie. Then fourth, he has to rise from the dead and his followers have to put their faith in him to ultimately and finally defeat the Satan figure. Hmm. Now, this is actually the story of Jesus. And you go, where did, where did J.K. Rowling get this from? Well, she says the whole series can be epitomized by two Bible verses, which both appear in the books and the movies. One is the last enemy to be destroyed is death from 1 Corinthians 15. And the second is where your treasure is there will your heart be also from Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. But she said, I never wanted to talk about the biblical parallels uh, when we were writing these books and doing these movies, because I did not want the author or the audience to know where we were going.
0: Hmm.
2: Now, I know a lot of people have trouble with the with the fantasy elements of it and the magic in it. Um, and what we say to that is, first of all, we leave it up to parents. You know, I, whatever parents think is right for their kids, I, I agree with parents. If you want to keep your kids away from that kind of fantasy, that's fine. That's your call. But I noticed that a lot of Christian parents kind of have a double standard, because on one hand they'll say, well, we can't look at Harry Potter, but, but Gandalf in, in Lord of the Rings, who's a wizard, he's just fine. Lord of the Rings is fine, and Chronicles of Narnia, written by C.S. Lewis, has magic throughout it. It's a magical world, and it seems that many Christian parents are, are fine with that. So I, I think we have a little bit of a double standard the other thing i will say is that the kind of magic that you find in harry potter or narnia or lord of the rings isn't the kind of magic the bible talks about it's not real it's just made up stuff it comes out of the mind of jk rowling and 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 uh and tolkien and lewis it's not the kind of stuff that is divination where you're 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 trying to contact the dead although there is one aspect of that at in the last harry potter movie uh but it turns out that it it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't it doesn't there's no negative effect of it um but most of the kind of fantasy stuff that you see in these movies is just is just made up from the author's mind i mean you don't see anybody riding around on broomsticks playing This modified soccer game that you see in the Harry Potter movies, right? I mean, that's not something that the Bible even references. This is just fantasy stuff, and so it's not the same as what the Bible is warning us to stay away from. That being said, however, I agree with whatever parents think is right for their kids. You Mm -hmm. know, not not every movie, even that we even not every movie we talk about in Hollywood heroes is age appropriate. Yeah.
0: So would you say Harry Potter is your favorite film to have faith-based conversations off of?
2: It's one of them, but I actually like Iron Man even more. And we can talk about that if you want. Yeah. um, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, Iron Man starts out as, have you seen these movies? Leone, have you seen them?
1: Harry Potter. Yeah, but not Iron Man. Okay.
2: Okay. All right. Well, Iron Man starts out as a. The character playing Iron Man is, is a man by the name of Tony Stark, who's a billionaire, playboy, amoral arms dealer. That's how he starts out. He's got all the money he wants. He's got all the power he wants. He has a great girlfriend, but he's still miserable because he has no direction in life. He has no purpose. He has everything to live with, but nothing to live for. And so he's miserable. And what happens to him is one of his own weapons that he, his company in, 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 in sold to terrorists actually detonates, and it, it litters him with shrapnel. And so he has to have a device put into his chest that guards his heart from encroaching shrapnel. That keeps him alive. If that device fails, he dies. Now, for me, this is a beautiful picture of what I think is the second most important verse in the entire Bible, The first section of verses that's most important is the story of Jesus, what we call the gospel. But the second most important in this culture is a proverb, Proverbs 4.23, which says this, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. Now, the culture says what? Follow your heart. The Bible says guard your heart because if you follow your heart without moral restraint, You're going to wind up full of anxiety alone and in a bad way like Tony Stark was. But if you guard your heart and you follow really what is true and right, then you can become someone like Tony Stark, who ultimately becomes this character Iron Man, who at the end of all these movies sacrifices himself to save the world. Now, when when he starts out, you don't think you don't think this guy's not going to sacrifice himself for anything. He's just all about himself. Right. He's following his heart. But this image of this of this device in his chest, I think, is a beautiful picture of that proverb. Guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Now, you, if you haven't, I don't know. Have you seen any of the movies, you uh, know? I've this.
0: seen uh I, I think a little bit of Iron Man, but uh, okay. Harry Potter I, and Superman, some of the other all books that you've seen
2: together. some of it. Well, at the end of this movie, Endgame, which is where all these superheroes are taking on the evil Satan figure, his name is Thanos, and he wants to destroy uh, half the world. Uh, and so all these superheroes are trying to kill, kill Thanos before he does it. Right. And uh, Tony Stark is the one the most unlikely one you would think who would sacrifice himself to take out Thanos. And so in order to do it, he actually dies taking out Thanos. And there's a really sad scene for those that follow the movie at the end when Tony Stark dies, Oh, Tony Stark gave him, gave his life to save the world. And it's a very inspiring scene, but imagine at the end of this movie, instead of Tony Stark saying, I'm going to sacrifice myself to take out Thanos. He looks at his Avenger Uh, fellow superheroes, and he says to him, you know, guys, I just don't feel like taking on Thanos today. I need to get back to following my heart and taking care of just me. I'm out, right? Now, would anybody be inspired by that? Would anybody go, what a great movie, what a great ending? Tony Stark wimped out and went home. No, everyone would go, oh, that's terrible, right? (laughs) It's terrible. He's following his heart. He's not He's not sacrificing himself to save others. This is awful. I don't want to see this. Which just goes to show you that even people who are making movies that aren't Christians can't help but realize that what's going to enthrall us, what is true and beautiful, is someone who sacrifices himself to save others. Mm. And that's what Jesus does for us. Well,
0: I, it's interesting, Frank, because when I heard about this book, uh, I was scrolling through Facebook a couple months ago, and I think there was a preview of it with Elisa Childers. I love to follow her stuff. I was like, wow, that reminds me of this conversation that C.S. Lewis talks about between him and uh, Tolkien, yes. where they talked about uh, the true myth.
2: Exactly. And it was so
0: interesting because as I was researching what I wanted to talk with you about, I was thinking about uh, the young women that maybe are listening to this, and maybe Leone here even, who's like, well, that's a nice story. But why is the story of Jesus the true myth, right. and what does that even mean? And, and I know you know more about that than I do because I researched it. So would you, um, would you go ahead and share about what C.S. Lewis was talking about and why Jesus is the real story?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, was a friend of C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist early on in his life. He saw a lot of injustice in the world, did Lewis, and he, he didn't believe that there was a God. And then he ultimately, through the help of Tolkien, realized that there was a God. And one day they're walking along, and Tolkien said to Lewis, uh, "Jack, that's what they called C.S. Lewis. Hey, Jack, you really seem to be enthralled with stories from myths about dying and rising gods. There were a number of myths that came after Christianity, Leone, you know, that talked about a God who died to save others and." It was kind of a, a, a borrowing from the Christian story. And, he, and Tolkien said, why are you so enthralled with these myths? You seem to be enthralled with them everywhere you read them, except when you read them in the pages of the New Testament. But in the New Testament, that story is the true myth. This is the one that really happened. This isn't a, a fantasy story. It's not fiction. It really happened that a man came to earth And this man was God. He added humanity to his deity. He lived the perfect life, and he sacrificed himself so he could take our punishment on himself. And then by trusting in him, you can not only be forgiven for what you've done, but given his righteousness. That actually happened in history. And Lewis was taken with this claim. And then he began to investigate it for himself, and he realized that Tolkien was right, that there was really a man named Jesus who did live the perfect life and did die and rise again to show he was God and to show that he was the sacrifice for our sins. And now there's a lot of evidence for that. We can talk about it if you want, but that's really what Tolkien um, what Tolkien convinced Lewis of. And then C.S. Lewis became probably the best, well, the no, most well-known and most effective apologist—that's someone who gives evidence for what they believe for the Christian faith in the 20th century. Yeah,
0: Leonie, how do you respond to that? And feel free well, that, to be completely honest.
1: Well, so that kind of reminds me of uh, my question. I think we wanted to talk about that today yeah. as well. Um, Janelle, could you re- could you repeat my questions? It's it's been a while.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think
1: one of the questions that you asked
0: was, how can it be fulfilling to know you'll never be good enough for God and never perfect? Mm-hmm. And your other question is, how can you dedicate your life to someone or something when you don't know if it really exists? Those were the two questions. that Yeah, I
1: think the second question kind of refers to that because, I mean, um, we talked about this also in, a, in the last episodes that it's historically proven that Jesus existed and that his body was gone and everything after he died. But like for me, so I'm the kind of person who needs like scientific proof for everything. Like Mm -hmm. as long as I can see something or touch something, it's not there for me. And Mm -hmm. so for me, it's kind of hard to um, understand how, how you can dedicate your whole life to something. Um, when you like can't see it or can't touch it, like you cannot really prove for yourself that it's there. That like. Yeah, that's,
2: Jesus. yeah, that's, that's a, a good question. I guess I would ask, why do you think you have to feel or touch something to know it exists?
1: Well, because so for me, if I, um, well, if I can see, for example, okay. I have, I don't know. I'm sitting at a desk right now I see all those things here on my desk and I, I can touch everything I can see everything I know it's here. But if I can not like feel the presence of something it's not there for me.
2: So. Let's talk about some things you know exist that are not physical. Like, for example, your mind. Right. Your mind is correlated with your brain. But it's not just your brain because if it was just your brain you couldn't trust any thought you have because it would mean that you're you're just a a brain and not a mind then your brain is driven completely by the laws of physics and you wouldn't have any any warrant to believe what you believe but you do believe things that you think about the laws of logic right the idea that say the law of non-contradiction which says that say the earth can't be both round and not round at the same time and in the same sense, right? You you know that intuitively, but it's not something you see, it's not something you touch. Um, love is something that you don't see or touch. I mean, you may love someone, you may have been loved by someone, but it's not a physical thing, right? It's an immaterial reality. Um, you've never seen George Washington, right? Um, but you know, he, George Washington, existed. And you say, well, why do we know George Washington existed? Because he's left effects behind that are best explained by a cause known as George Washington. In fact, it, when people ask me, Frank, how do you know God exists? The, my answer is this I know God exists by his effects. Hmm. So if I have an effect, I have to reason back to a cause. Why does that thing exist to begin with? So, for example, If creation exists and it does, and even atheists are admitting creation had a beginning, then creation is in effect. And if creation is in effect, what could have caused the creation? A creator, that's the cause. Um, Design is in effect. So the universe is designed. It's highly fine-tuned. We could talk about that if you want. Life is designed. You have a, for example, in every one of your 40 trillion cells, you have a message that's 3.5 billion letters long. All the letters are in the right order. That's a program. And programs come from programmers. They don't, natural laws don't create programs. So the effect of design needs to be explained by a cause, a designer. You have a moral law. You know, say, murdering people is wrong. It's not just your opinion. It's not just my opinion. It's really wrong. If that's really wrong, there must be an effect beyond, or caused by you beyond us, which has given us this effect we call a law, a moral law, because laws come from lawgivers. So we're reasoning from effect back to cause. Another effect would be your ability to think. We just mentioned that, right? You have a mind, that's an effect. So you've got to explain, why do I have this ability to think? Where do these laws of logic come from? Why can I reason and discover things outside of my skull? That has to be explained. If that effect exists and it does, what caused that? seems to be a great mind has caused this. So we're reasoning from effect back to cause. That's how we know God exists. And if the universe had a beginning, which it does, then think about what the attributes of the cause must be. If space, matter, and time had a beginning, the cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful to create the universe out of nothing. Personal in order to choose to create because only a personal being can choose to create an impersonal force can't choose to create anything like your gravity doesn't choose to do anything it just does the same thing over and over again right It doesn't make choices, but to go from a state of nothingness to a state of creation someone had to make a choice, and only persons make choices, the being would also have to be intelligent to have a mind to make a choice and intelligent to design the universe and you the way we are designed. The being would also have to be moral because he's given us this moral law so without even opening a bible or any other religious book we can see that a a cause exists that's spaceless timeless immaterial powerful personal intelligent moral a creator who has created this universe and if we had a little bit more time to talk about it we could say this being also sustains the universe and sustains us so All we're doing here is reasoning from effect to cause. And many of these, some of these effects are immaterial. You can't see them. You can't see the law that says don't murder, right? It's not something you see, you just know it. You can't see your mind. You just have it, you know it exists. You can't see the laws of logic. They're just there. They're part of the immaterial reality, the furniture of the universe, we might say, which is God's nature. You can't see uh, the laws of logic. They just exist. They're, they're, they're grounded in the nature of God. So while I agree, I like to verify things by seeing them, the most important things in life you don't see. Like if someone were to say, oh, I love you, and you would ask them, well, why do you love me? And the person said, I don't know, let's run some kind of experiment. You'd go, no, that, that's, not, <laughs> that's not the right tool yeah. to, to, to figure out why somebody loves you. It's, 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 it's an immaterial decision to love somebody. It's not something you measure in a science lab. In fact, you got to use the right tools to know certain things. Like if I were to ask you, um, can you weigh a chicken with a yardstick? No, you you would say, well, no, you don't use a yardstick to weigh anything, right? You need a scale to weigh a chicken. Mm -hmm. Well, likewise, you don't detect love or the laws of logic or an immaterial cause with a experiment that's not something that a scientific experiment that you use to to discover those things you use other other means to discover these things your mind observation about cause and effect that kind of thing does that make sense
1: yeah it does so for example for me um i mean when it comes to love, for example, I can feel the effect of love, like what what it does to my body and everything. But so we talked about this on another episode already, but for example, I in the past I tried to pray and I tried to receive something from God because I was like, okay, if so many people believe in it, it must be there. but I never like received something back. So for me, I was like, okay, well, God doesn't exist. That's, that's it. Like there was nothing. So I don't know if it's just because I don't believe in it enough. So I would like receive something
2: back. I don't know if that makes sense, but well, I, I know it, it it might be um, a bit of a shock, but I don't, I I haven't received anything from God in prayer either. Mm -hmm. Meaning I'm not expecting God to talk to me back and, I know a lot of Christians believe this, but when you read the Bible, that's very infrequent where God talks back to somebody, Mm -hmm. okay? Uh, He talks to certain people to write the Bible, but generally, he's not talking back to us. And if he was, why would we need the Bible, right? The purpose of the Bible, according to Paul, who wrote a lot of it, the purpose of it is to make us wise about how to be saved, meaning sanctified, or meaning having our sins taken away and becoming more like Jesus. That's the purpose of it. It's not to tell us everything about everything, nor is it there as some kind of mystical uh, book that we look into and we, we get these, these uh, chills and these feelings when we read it. Now, God may do that. You may get that, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to, to help us know who God is and then to make him known. Uh, so Christians, I know, often traffic in the idea that I was listening for God to tell me X, Y, or Z, but I believe the way God communicates primarily is through the Bible. So you read it and that's what it says. Okay, got it. That's what he wants me to do. Okay, oh, he died for for me. I By trusting in him, I can have my sins forgiven. And I can not only be forgiven, I can be given his righteousness. Oh, good. That's why I'm here. Okay. To know God and to make him known and to be then on his team to bring more people into his kingdom. That's why we're here. So I'm with you. When I when I pray, although I'm not saying other people might not hear from God, maybe they do, but God deals with people differently. People have different personalities. They have different, um, They have they have different wants they have different needs and if god is speaking to some person in a certain way and not me i'm fine with that okay i just tell all people if you think you're getting a message from god you need to test it against the bible because if you're getting a, you think a message from god and it disagrees with the bible it ain't from god as we say okay there's another realm out there there's a demonic realm where you can have demonic forces give you messages and that's why we have to test everything against the bible does that make sense
1: yeah it it does thank you for your explanation (laughs) so
0: did you have a follow-up question to that uh leone before i ask him a different one
1: what sorry what
0: i was just asking if you had a follow-up question to that before i jumped in frank how did you uh become a christian and what got you so passionate about apologetics
2: well kind of the same road that leone's on is I wanted to know if it was true. And so I had so many questions when I was in the Navy, uh, which stands for never again, volunteer yourself. By the way. Um, <laughs> I was in the Navy. I had a friend of mine who was a son of a Methodist minister. And I kept asking him questions and he kept going. You just need to get Josh McDowell books. Evidence that demands a verdict and more than a carpenter. They, those were books that were written like in the seventies. And So this was in the 80s, and I had these questions, and he just said, "Just read these books." So I read those books, and I said, "Wow, looks like Christianity's true." And then after I got out of the Navy, I uh, met a man by the name of Norman Geisler, who was uh, starting a seminary where we live now in Charlotte, and he was one of the top apologists in the world at the time. One of the top. He had, by, the, by the time he died, he died about three years ago. They counted up the number of books he had either written or co-written. And it was 129 and i said wow this guy has written more books than most people have read in fact this guy's written more books than most people have seen like who goes to the library anymore right okay so um so i wrote a couple of books with him and one is called i don't have enough faith to be an atheist so which argues for the for christianity from the ground up so i became a christian through the evidence Sort of like what Leone's asking for. Give me, give me the evidence and then then I can believe. But let me say this though: there are certain things that you will only experience once you do believe. It's kind of like, did you yeah, did, have you seen Star Wars, Leone? No. You didn't see any Star Wars? Oh, I can't use this illustration. Um there are certain things. Well, for those of you who are listening, in Star Wars, the force only makes sense if you believe, if you're if if you are. Uh, If you actually believe the force exists, then you can use it, okay? Well, there are certain things about Christianity that only make sense once you become a Christian. Uh, The Holy Spirit only really makes sense after that you say, yes, I trust in Jesus for my salvation, and the Holy Spirit seals you, so to speak, as Paul talks about in his book to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Then you can understand what is known as the witness of the Holy Spirit. That's the... The, the sense that you're believing the truth because the Holy Spirit seals you with the, with the confidence that, yeah, you're that Christianity is indeed true, but you only get that after you trust. You only get that after you become a believer, after you go, yes, I want to put my trust in Jesus. By the way, the, the, the word faith has the wrong connotation in our culture today. Faith often means if you don't have any evidence, you have faith. You know, you just believe blindly, right? That's not what faith means. In, in in Christianity, faith means trusting in what you have good evidence to believe is true. Trusting in what you have good evidence to believe is true. It's like when you get on the airplane to go back to Berlin, you're going to trust that the plane is safe and the pilots are trained, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't really activate that trust until you get on the plane, right? You might intellectually know, yeah, these pilots are trained. Yeah, this plane is safe. Yeah, we'll probably get to Berlin. But you don't really exercise faith in that until you get in the plane and then go, right? Yeah. So you have good evidence to believe that the plane is safe. And once you get in the plane, then you're trusting in pilots and the airplane and all that the maintenance and the air traffic controllers you're trusting in them once you get in the plane well, the same thing is true in christianity there's two kinds of faith there's belief that jesus is the savior and then there is the idea that you're not just going to believe it in your head you're going to trust in jesus when you accept him as your savior and that's when you get what's called the witness of the holy spirit so there's a lot of people that know that it's true, but they don't trust in it. In fact, James, who wrote a little book in the New Testament called James, <laughs> he, was, he was the half brother of Jesus. He says, even the demons believe that God exists. You know, if God exists and demons exist, they know that God exists better than we do. Right? They're in the spiritual realm. They know it's true, but they don't trust in him. They know it intellectually, but they don't trust in him. So we are to go from just not from, from not just the head knowledge, but we, we need to trust in Jesus after we know that he is the savior. So that's the difference between belief that and belief in it's like knowing that the plane is safe to actually getting on the plane, getting in it going. Mm -hmm. Frank, I want to, uh,
0: bring up Leonie's other question that she had here, because I think it's so uh, good. And I'd love to hear yeah. what you have to say to it. But she asked, and and we actually had um, this conversation privately before she ever brought it on the podcast here. But she asked, how can it be fulfilling to know you'll never be good enough for God, or never perfect? And I think, Leonie, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that kind of came from this idea that the worldview is... You're good enough as you are, you know, start loving yourself, uh, start accepting yourself. And at one point in the car, you said to me, Leone, the Christian message is completely opposite of that. Um, and so any other things to add to that, Leonie, before Frank I tackles it was
1: that? Because like this whole movement right now, like the past couple of years that you're perfect just the way you are, love yourself how you are and um, accept others um for like who they are and everything and then in Christianity it says that you never like perfect or never I don't know good enough or something because just God is perfect and especially when I don't know people who suffer seek God because of that um I'm, I'm wondering like how can that be fulfilling or make you feel better when the message is that you're not good enough
2: Well, it's been put this way. First of all, think about the word good. What does that imply? It implies a standard, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if it's just my opinion as to what good is, or just your opinion as to what good is, that's not a true standard. That's just our opinion. But good, all theologians know to mean the nature of God. Even atheists will say, okay, what good means, if good exists, it would have to be grounded in the nature of God. Otherwise it's just someone's opinion, right? Okay, so goodness is God's nature. Justice is God's nature. Righteousness is God's nature. Love is God's nature. These are all attributes of God. And to say that someone is not good enough, meaning we don't live up to God's standard of goodness. I mean, that seems to be self-evident, right? None of us do, okay? But the beauty of Christianity is this. Um, I think Tim Keller, the Christian pastor from New York, put it this way, I'm paraphrasing him, and that is, we are all more evil than we can imagine, but we are also more loved than we can imagine. Okay, so God has this standard because he is the standard, and none of us live up to it. But God loved us so much, That he would actually come to earth, add humanity to his deity and take our punishment on himself so he wouldn't have to punish us. You say, well, why does God have to punish anyone? Why can't he just forgive? You know, what's the deal with that? Well, if God is infinitely just, can he allow injustice to go unpunished? No, if not, if he's infinitely just, right, he has to punish evil. If he doesn't punish evil, he's not just. Yet, on the other hand, he doesn't want to punish us. He's kind of caught between his infinite love and his infinite justice. So what does he do? He says, in order for me to remain just, I've got to punish evil. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take evil upon myself and allow the creatures that did evil to punish me. So that way, I can remain just and I can justify people who have been evil. And that's what God does. He comes to earth and takes our punishment on himself. So he can still remain just. He's still just. He punishes sin. It just doesn't punish us as the sinners. He punishes himself. And then by trusting in what he's done, then God can remain just and we can be uh, reconciled to him. Maybe an illustration might might help communicate this. Let's suppose you went out and you did something wrong. I don't know, I'll just make something up. Let's suppose you were drinking and driving, right? Cop sees you, pulls you over, takes you to uh, the courthouse right away. It's a, it's a town of swift justice, Leone. You're gonna be taken before the judge that very night. They, they bring you into the courtroom and you look up and the judge is your father. And he looks down at you and he says, how do you plead? And you say guilty because they have evidence you were, you, were, you were drunk, right? Driving. Now, since he's your father, can he just look down at you and go, well, oh, this is my daughter. Just let her go. Can he do that if he's going to remain just? No, he can't. He wouldn't be just if he did that. But he loves you. He doesn't want to punish you. So he looks down at you and he says, Leone, $5,000 fine and you go to jail. And you look back at your dad and you go, dad, you know, I don't have $5,000. I mean, I'm an exchange student, come on, (laughs) right? And uh, he says, I'm sorry, if you don't come up with $5,000, you go to jail. And Mm -hmm. you say, well, look, dad, I'll never do anything wrong again. I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer at the soup kitchen. I'll help old ladies across the street. I'll fight sex trafficking. I'll, I'll, I'll do all the good stuff that you want me to do. Now, even if you could do that, would that erase the fact that you're guilty of drunk driving?
1: No,
2: no. All the good works in the world are not going to erase the fact that you're already guilty. So he, he says to you, look, it doesn't matter how much good you do from here on out. You're still guilty of this, but dad, I don't have $5,000. And so he says, hang on. So he comes down from the bench He takes off his robe. He reaches into his pocket. He pulls out $5,000. What's the only thing you can do to be free?
1: Well, take those $5,000.
2: Take the $5,000, right? Take the payment and you can be free because someone else has paid your fine. Well, that's what Jesus does for us. He comes down from heaven. He adds humanity to his deity and he takes our punishment on himself. And all we can do in order to be forgiven is take that payment. But the beauty of Christianity is you're not only forgiven, you're given his righteousness. So when God sees you, he doesn't see Leone. He doesn't see any sins you've committed. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. This is why, I know this is going to sound crazy, but it's true. This is why Jesus, I mean, uh, God doesn't punish Christians, because he's already punished Jesus. So you could be a Christian and do something evil. You're not going to be punished for that. Jesus is already punished for it. You may experience the natural consequences of those sins. Uh, Jesus may discipline you. There's a difference between discipline and punishment. That's from Hebrews chapter 12. You can read about that. But you're not punished for any wrongdoing because Jesus has already been punished for that. So you don't have to live up to Jesus. You can't. I can't. Jesus has already done it. So all you do is accept what he's done. So that's liberating. It's not confining. It's liberating. Because if you have to, if you have to achieve your identity, all the pressure's on you. You'll never do it anyway. There's always somebody better than you. There's always somebody better than me, right? But if you receive your identity, which is what Christianity is, it's already been done for you. It's just given to you. So all the pressure's off. It's, it's. You don't have to live up to anything. He's already lived it for you. Now, the reason that we then obey him is because we love him, because of what he's done for us. It's not, it's not a slavish kind of, oh, now, gee, i got to obey all these rules, you know, in order to make myself more pleasing to God. No, that's, that's not Christianity. Christianity is because Jesus has sacrificed himself for us out of gratitude for what he's done, then we follow him. It's, it's, it's out of love. It's not out of obligation. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. Thank you. Yeah.
2: So you don't have to worry about living up to God's standards. You can't, I can't. He's already done it.
1: Okay. That answered my question. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> that was better than your host
0: mom did, huh? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh man. Um, well, final question. Actually, I, I have enough time to ask you this one. I did look yeah. into your CIA program a little bit, Frank. Oh, okay. um, And I know you recognize that there is a mass exodus of young people who grow up in Christian homes and then mm-hmm. choose to leave Christianity behind. Um, mm-hmm. You also speak to a lot of young people on college campuses. Uh, what do you think are some of the biggest concerns of young people when it comes to faith today? And how can someone who's listening, who loves those young people, um, address those concerns?
2: Well, a lot of times we send young people off into a very hostile environment and that is the college campus. Uh, and they, they go off unarmed. They don't have any reasons why Christianity is true. And then they run into people obviously who are not Christians. Many of them are their professors and they, they say, well, you know, why should I believe what my pastor told me when he didn't really give me any evidence for Christianity? He just said, believe And this, this, professor seems to be giving me evidence that it's not true. So why shouldn't I just not be a believer? And of course you have this, what is known as a moral hazard. When you go to college, you don't want to do everything your parents said. You don't do everything God says, or you want to, you want to be your own person. You want to blend in with everybody. You want to hang out. You want to, you know, maybe do what you want to do sexually, right? You don't want the restrictions of Christianity on you. So there's kind of a moral hazard to do that. Actually, this, this happens a lot earlier than college now, because where do we get most of our information from? The, the glowing rectangle, right? <laughs> um, and there's a lot of skepticism on the glowing rectangle. There's also a lot of good too. I mean, there's a lot of good videos you can watch. Hopefully some of them are on our YouTube channel, but there's a lot of skepticism too. And if you're, if you don't direct people to the right answers, they can easily be pulled away from the truth. So that's one of them. One of the issues is they need evidence. Second is the identity issue. I just mentioned that people are struggling for identity. And the beauty of Christianity is you don't achieve your identity, you receive your identity, just accept it, just given to you. He's given you the right to become a child of God. It's free. It's liberating. It's easy. You don't have to achieve a thing but we all want to achieve things. And in fact, you look at some of these tragedies that have occurred recently, these shootings, um, I think one of the lessons we get from these kind of things is the fact that for many people, being ignored is worse than being hated. Mm. And it's exacerbated on social media, right? People will do anything for attention. Even attention that's going to result in their deaths, right? They're going to go in and shoot up a school, but everyone's going to know their name. Why why would you do that? Because some people would rather be hated than ignored. They want the attention. Why do we want the attention so much? Because we think we're going to somehow solve our problems through getting attention. We think that that's that's the... the solution to our angst. Now the real solution to our angst is to put our trust in the one that created us and loved us and accept, accept the identity he's giving to us for free. That's the solution, not to try and achieve it yourself. Because as I said earlier, you can't achieve. Let's, let's go back to the movies for a second. Why is Tony Stark not happy? He's got the big three. What are the big three that Solomon talks about and that we know uh, a lot of people think, if I just have these three things, I'm going to be happy. What are the three things? Sex, money, power. If I have those three things, I'm happy. Why is Tony Stark not happy? He's got those because he's, he has no purpose. He has no identity. So what if he has all the sex, money, and power he wants? He's going to die. So what's going to happen then? What's the meaning of all this? There is no meaning if there's no God. We just die and become worm food. It's all, it's all over. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day whether you live like a school shooter or you live like Mother Teresa. It doesn't matter at all. Ultimately, there's no God. That's part of the angst that people feel. So we have to direct them toward the ultimate solution, and that's God himself. And Paul, I mean... Um, Solomon talks all about this in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. He says, life is meaningless if there's no God. It is. It's meaningless. Just, okay, we're here for a short time. Boom, done, over. What then? Nothing. Does it really matter? No. Not ultimately. Doesn't matter at all. So I think we have to, uh, we have to show people what the true meaning of life is, and that is to know God and to make him known.
0: Very good. Um, I'm going to read the final question here because it's one we give everybody. Um, The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Mm -hmm. Real is an acronym of those four gifts that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ. Which of those stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? What are those
2: four again? Say them again.
0: Restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love.
2: Oh, I get it, finding something real. Well, it all goes down ultimately to love. The question is, what is love, right? I think that's another thing that our culture gets wrong. People think love is approval. No, love is not approval. I mean, if your parents approved of everything you wanted to do as a child, would they be loving? No, of course not. They have to stand in the way of evil that you might want to do, evil that might hurt you or hurt others, right? So love does not mean approval. Love is seeking what's best for the other person. And sometimes that requires you to stand in the way of evil rather than condone it, obviously. And so it ultimately comes down to love and God loved us so much that he decided to take our punishment on himself by coming to earth and The form of Christ. And then by trusting in him, we can be restored, which is the first, the R in real, right? You can be restored for eternity. What's the A again?
0: Authenticity.
2: Yeah, authenticity. Well, our authentic selves are fallen. People always say, well, live a life of authenticity. Well, if I lived a life of authenticity, I'd be dead already because I would have pursued my heart which means I couldn't keep a relationship. Which means I would probably steal to make money. Which means I would, I would just look after me, right? That's the authentic, the authentic self is to what? Take care of number one. Only a, a heart that can be, uh, that can be redeemed is a heart that will realize that no, I have to put God number one, and then everything else will be given unto me, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Seek the kingdom of God first. And these other things will be given unto you doesn't mean you're going to be healthy and wealthy all the time don't get you can be murdered for being a christian but it means that you will have your priorities in order and whether you live or die you're going to be reconciled to god in eternity Hmm. so but it all goes back to love because god is love and he loved us enough to come save us
0: yeah well frank turek thank you so much for being on here today leone any final thoughts
1: no, I think I'm I'm fine.
2: Yeah. Wow. So, Leone, let me ask you a question now. Uh-huh. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian?
1: I don't know. We t- so um, we talked about this on the last episode. Um, I I don't know if I'm ready to change my whole worldview. <laughs> um, I think I would need more evidence for myself um to like fully believe in it um even though yeah I cannot touch it have my mm-hmm. way of proof but I'm not ready. so right now I would not be ready to change my whole view on the world and yeah
2: what would make you ready do you think
1: I don't I don't I don't know The the so for me what's maybe different um to like other christians is that so in in my family no one really believes so in germany a lot of people say that they're christians and they go to church but they don't really like live out their christianity so um i don't know for example they they don't really read in the bible they don't really pray it's just okay we go to church and we say we're christians but we're not really like engaging in it
2: Right. I get it. Yep.
1: So I think for me, it would be kind of hard to, well, add add that to my life, I would say, and then kind of like dedicate more to that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. You wouldn't be adding that to your life though. It would be the center if was really Mm -hmm. true. Right. I mean, if God really did come to earth and die for you and die for me and by trusting in him, Mm -hmm. we could know him and be reconciled to him. Um, that's the greatest story ever told, right? That's, that's, C.S. Lewis said this, he said, either Christianity, um, is the most important fact ever, or it's irrelevant. What it can't be is just moderately important, right? It either is the most important thing or it's nothing. There's no in between. So if in fact, Jesus did come and die and rise, that's the most important fact ever.
1: I think one situation that kind of um, refers to my life right now is what you said about the college and like high school and that you don't want to like live I don't know like listen to all those rules and everything you want to do whatever you want and uh, you don't want those restrictions so I mm-hmm. think I'm, I'm in that situation right now.
2: Oh, well, that's I honest, have- at least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but remember, why are there restrictions there? Are there restrictions there for God's benefit or for ours?
1: Well, for for ours,
2: but... Mm-hmm. God doesn't get anything yeah. out out of you obeying or disobeying because he's an infinite being, right? You can't add to him by obeying him. You can't subtract him, from him by disobeying him. We're the ones that get all the benefit of mm-hmm. of obedience. It's not God. So... Look, I understand because I was in your position like 40 years ago. You don't you don't want to do everything your dad mom told you or your church. <laughs> or your host you. mom. <laughs> yeah, your host mom. You want to do your own th- I get that. The problem is those those restrictions are there for your own protection. They're not they're not to take away your fun. They're actually to enable you to 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 have more full life, a more abundant life down the road. So I always ask people this, you know, when you buy a new car, say you buy a new Mercedes Benz, cause you're from Germany or a new BMW or whatever you guys buy over there. Yeah. Mercedes. You know, Mercedes. Okay. It comes with a manual, right? And you read the manual and it says, Hey, do these things. Don't do these things. Right. Okay. Do these things. If you want the car to run well, don't do these things. Cause if you do, you're going to destroy the car and maybe yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And nobody gets mad at Mercedes Benz when it says, Hey, do these things. Don't do these things. Right. We all go, okay, that's good advice. I'll follow that why do we get mad when the designer of our lives gives us a manual and says, okay, do these things, but don't do these things. We go, you can't tell me what to do. What, that? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I, I, I made you. I know why, I know how you're designed. Just like the Mercedes people know what the car's, how the car is designed and what, how, it, how it's designed to, to run a certain way. And when they tell you do these and don't do these things, you go, yep, got it. But when God says the same thing to us, we go, no way. I'm doing it my way. Okay. <laughs> So just keep that in mind.
1: Yeah.
0: Thank you. All right. Well, Frank Turek and Leone, thank you so much for being here. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences, and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him. Until next time.